Put them over your heart and say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I want to pass something out to you. The ushers are coming right now to give it to you. And I'll explain in just a minute after each of you has received one what we're doing with this. And Tim, could I please have one? Okay, good. Here's one. All right, everybody have one? The Helps Ministry, everybody in the room has one? Let's wait just a minute. Be sure Jeff gets one. All right, if I could get everybody's attention up here, I'm going to give you some instruction. Okay. That's what I'd like you all to do. What a sound. Could you imagine a a group of about 2,000 that would be like if you would just take that then and set it down uh, maybe in front of you next to you whatever to the chair next to you and on the floor don't worry about it but somewhere where you can see it I have been in a renaissance and we'll be going back and forth a manual between my iPad and just maybe just a, a motion video that you can have there. Do we have your switcher? Uh, if you could do that. I, I, I just, uh, I've, I've been in a renaissance. My whole life and ministry has been radically altered. My paradigms about church, the gospel, and discipleship have been forever changed. And God has used three books in particular to facilitate this renaissance. I'd like to just quickly mention those to you. And Manuel, I'm going to be putting them back up here or going back up on screen here. This is one of them.
It's called Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. Creating churches unchurched people love to attend. Here's another run. Repenting of Religion by Greg Boyd. Turning from judgment to the love of God. And then this one here by Bill Johnson. When Heaven Invades Earth. A Practical Guide to the Life of Miracles. Those three books have facilitated a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit in my life. And the verse I want to share with you this morning that just speaks to me about this renaissance, this shift in my paradigm is Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 from the New Living Translation. It says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. For finishing the work assigned to me by Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I looked up this word renaissance. It means the activity, the spirit, or the time of great revival. Now, it specifically refers to uh, of art, literature, learning in Europe. Between the 14th and 17th centuries, there was a great renaissance. But it also, in principle, certainly can apply to any time there's a significant activity or move of spirit or time of great revival that shifts you from one place, typically uh, where you don't see as clearly or um, uh, maybe it's not exactly where you want to be to the destiny or, or direction, more in the direction that you want to be. Another one defined it as a renewal of life, vigor and interest, a a rebirth, a revival. And then this word paradigm, it means example or pattern. Especially an outstandingly clear or typical example. Okay, an outstandingly clear example or archetype. Of where you want to be, what you want to do with your life. That would be a a paradigm. It also means an example serving as a model or a pattern. The word paradigm can also mean a framework containing the basic assumptions, ways of thinking, and methodology that are commonly accepted by members of the scientific community. Now, that's a mouthful just to simply say your worldview determines oftentimes what you perceive and receive as fact. So, for instance, there's a group of scientists in our world today whose worldview is not necessarily biblical, but humanistic. And so for them, they've come up with something called global warming and global warming is going to be the doom of the earth. Now, what's interesting about that is that you can't find anything in the Bible about it. And. Poor God, (laughs) nobody informed him that he was going to lose his greatest creation called Earth and, of course, us as human beings, all to global warming. So nobody informed him. So see, your biblical, your worldview, whether it's a biblical worldview or a humanistic worldview, will allow you to accept even science as fact in the face of what's written in the word of God. 
I've entitled my message this morning, Walking Toward the Messes. This is now a mess, isn't it? It's certainly not what it started to be. I mean, you had hopes probably of writing on it, taking some great notes, hearing some tremendous wisdom from me, doing something very constructive with it. And isn't that how our lives often turn out? We had such expectations, such hope. (laughs) You remember when you were just like in grade school and then junior high and high school? I remember telling my dad, I'll be a multimillionaire by the time I'm 30. (laughs) Now, he tried to bring some reality to that dream, but I told him, hey, it's going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with dreaming and dreaming big. I mean, if you never dream, that's what you'll hit every time. (laughs) That's the target you're going to get. But how disappointing it is to start out with such a great, clean slate that has so much potential to be used for so many great things and find that it's a mess. I submit to you that this is what Jesus Christ and the gospel and the church are all about. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about who is Jesus? What is the church? Who can belong to this thing called the church? And then what should be the mission of that organization? First of all, who is Jesus? Well, John chapter 3 and verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is the son of God. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so if we believe on Jesus, we're going to go to heaven. I never heard the next verse quoted or spoken about when John 3.16 was taught. Never growing up, not in Bible school, not in Bible college. I, ne- I You know, I almost didn't know verse 17 was there. I mean, I knew it was there by virtue of the fact that there were a lot of other verses in before you got to the chapter's end. And so, of course, there's a verse 17. But I never realized how important verse 17 is. But I loved verse 16. We put it on banners and we hold it up on placards and you can even see it probably tonight at the Bronco game on television. Somebody will be holding up John 316. Yes. And verse 17 is just as important and we never memorized it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I never learned that. I thought part of my mission, part of my calling as a Christian was to point out the failure and the misbehavior and all of the other things of people who weren't there yet, who weren't part of the club. So you see how just being a verse off and not reading thoroughly from our, from our Bible, from our word, can really mess up your whole purpose, your whole expectation of what things really look like. 
Andy Stanley says in his book, Deep and Wide, and I quote, At its core, Christianity is an invitation to re-enter a relationship of trust with the Father. At the cross, sin was forgiven, and I'll comment, and its power and effects over us destroyed. And we were invited into a trust. It makes perfect sense that salvation comes by faith or trust, not obedience. Intimate relationships are not built on obedience. In quote. I didn't know that. I mean, I'm finding that out in marriage. Hey, guys, if you got married with an idea of submit to me, woman, you're just like, not only is that not biblical, but I mean, you're just going to have to go live in another country somewhere where that's cool. Yeah, but not life-giving because, I mean, our whole culture and, and soon to follow, hopefully the church will come along and understand that that's not what Paul was writing and saying, that women are a doormat or that they're there to serve uh, our needs and our desires and, and be in submission to our command. Somebody once said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And, and so the fact is, is you, you might even force somebody to obey you, but they've not given you their heart. Isn't it interesting? God knows that. <laughs> Why would he force compliance when all that really results from that is rebellion? A pushing back against it. And that's why Paul writes, it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. At its core, Christianity is an invitation to re-enter relationship with the Father. Dear ones, I have just summarized Old and New Testaments. It is what the Bible is all about. It's the story of what it took to bring mankind back to the place where we could once again have relationship with the creator of the universe and re-enter that relationship, not through obedience, but through trust. Trust in another man called Jesus, who in our place took our punishment died for our sin and has now reconciled us to the Father. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. The reason the Son of God was made manifest or visible was to undo, to destroy, to loosen, to dissolve the works that the devil has done. May I lead you in a profession of faith? Would you follow me, please? Father, I thank you. And I declare now, by faith in your word and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of the efforts of the enemy against me fail. They're powerless in Jesus' name. Isn't that simple? And based on the word of God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, 
paid the price and now has made it possible for me to re-enter a relationship with my heavenly father. Isn't that awesome? So what's this thing called the church? Well, the Greek word for it, and it's the word that Jesus used in Matthew's gospel when he said, I'm going to build my church. It's the Greek word ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Andy Stanley says, and I quote, In the beginning, the church was a gloriously messy movement with laser-focused message and a global mission. It was led by men and women who were fueled not by what they believed, but by what they had seen. The simple fact, that simple fact, sets the church apart from every other religious movement in the history of the world. After all, it wasn't the teaching of Jesus that sent his followers to the streets. It was his resurrection. End quote. I don't know about you, but when I read things like that, I just have to camp. I can't just keep reading page after page. That's why I'm a slow reader. I read something like that and I just, it wrecks me. It messes with me. And it's not altogether new, but it was how it was said. Did you hear this? It was led, speaking of the church, the, the, the beginning church, the first church on earth, the church that Jesus established. And on the day of Pentecost, it was born. It was led by men and women who were fueled not by what they believed, but by what they had seen. Point being, they didn't know how to do church yet, Monty. Right? They didn't know how to do church yet. They had never been there before. They had never had a church before. This was the first church. They had never had any pastors. They had never had any elders. There weren't any. There were 12 apostles. And on the first day that the church was started and began, after the first sermon ever preached, Peter preached it, there were 3,000 new members. 3,000. What do you do with that? I mean, where's the building that's going to hold 3,000 new converts? What do you preach on? How do you do communion? Where are the restrooms? What about nurseries? And my God, we don't even have diapers created yet. 3,000 people. How do you do church? Can you see how messy that is? But they won the world. The Bible says the world, the then known world, was turned upside down. Not because of what they believed, Doug but because what they had seen and witnessed and they went out and told everybody else about it. The resurrection. He's alive. He's alive. Jesus. He's alive. He's not dead. And he's still doing miracles and he's still changing lives. This word ecclesia, in fact, in both secular and sacred literature, Ecclesia always refers to just 
a gathering of people united by a common identity and a common purpose. We've turned it into buildings and geographical locations, and none of that is what the word means. That's why Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered, there I am in your midst. That's church. So what the Father's investing in is quite different than what we tend to invest in. We invest in buildings and edifices and locations and all of the trappings of doing church. And often we miss the simplicity of just the gathering. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, I'll begin there. For it has pleased the Father that all the divine fullness, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers, and attributes should dwell in Jesus permanently. And God purposed that through him, the Son, all things should be completely reconciled back to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, as through him made peace by means of the blood of his cross. And although you were at one time estranged and alienated from him, and you were hostile in the attitude of your mind and in your wicked activities, yet now Christ has reconciled you to God in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you holy, faultless, and irreproachable in his, the Father's, presence. So, whenever you have two or even three people that gather and they believe that, they've experienced that, you're having church. That's church. We're having church this morning, not because we're meeting in a building and we have chairs and a sound system and there's a preacher and a worship leader and all of the things. Thank God for those things. They have their necessary place in uh, facilitating us worshiping the Father. But really, please understand that the question, what is the church, is simply answered by it's a gathering of people that believe they've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Don't add anything to that. Don't take anything from that. That's the church. Everything else the church does, when it gathers, we should do to facilitate that basic premise of simply gathering to celebrate our reconciliation with the Father. Who can come to this thing? <laughs> oh, you talk about messy. Now that really gets messy. Who can come to this thing called the church? Who can belong? Well, Acts chapter 15, verse 19, a verse I, I had read a dozen times. I've preached from Acts chapter 15 and never seen this verse until reading Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. And I quote Acts 15 and verse 19. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
The whole context of chapter 15 of Acts is a huge argument that arose among the Jewish Christians as opposed to the Gentile converts about who could belong to the Christian church. Who could belong to this new thing that had been birthed? For the Jewish Christians, they wanted to have everybody own up to becoming a Jew, converting to becoming a Jew, and keeping all of the commandments and all of the law, including circumcision. That's why, why male membership was down at that time. <laughs> a lot of women signed up for those in those early days, but the, the men were still sitting out in the car thinking about this membership thing. But that's that 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 argument it became so it became so messy that they called a high order meeting all the apostles all the church leaders came together and met behind closed doors to consider this thing that was going to split the church wide open you talk about a church split And verse 19 tells us what they decided. James stood up, the first among equals, sort of the CEO. By the way, that doesn't stand for chief executive officer. It stands for chief elder in oversight. I made that up. But... James stands up, first among equals, after hearing all the arguments and all the opinions, and he says, brothers... Here's my judgment. Let's not put on the Gentiles anything. Let's not create service order and uh, how our style of how we worship and what we require in terms of clothing and length of hair and all the rules and regs. Look, guys, we should not do anything that makes it difficult for these Gentiles who are turning to God. Wow. And then he gave them two things. Only two things. Do you realize there are over 600 specific commandments in the law that one would have to obey in order to be Jewish? To become a Jewish convert? I mean, that's after you get the knife. After you get the knife, there's over 600 laws you have to learn and then obey to be Jewish. James and the brethren settled on two things. Just two. He said, look. Abstain from meat offered to idols. Because that, that, that really is against Jewish tradition. That's going to create a lot of problems if you don't uh, observe matters of conscience for your Jewish brothers. And... Stay clear of sexual immorality. You read it. Acts chapter 15. Two things. <laughs> that was their program. But that, that, those, that, that was... If you observe those, come on.
And yet, 2,000 years have gone by. And when all is said and done, our message as the church has been much the same. The church is for church people. The church is for those who are willing to sign on to our brand and accept our custom set of rules and quickly, instead of it being a place and a movement of grace and truth built on Christ and simple reconciliation with the Father, all of a sudden, it's graceless, it's churchy, it's lifeless, and people are in bondage. Do you know what our mission as a church leader is? Our responsibility is to lead the church in the direction that Jesus originally intended for it to go. And as a leader, your task is to protect the missionary integrity of the Jesus gathering to which we've been called. So who is it for? Who is the church for? Well, it's our responsibility, church, listen to me, to be sure that under our care, it continues to function as a gathering for, number one, People in process. A place where the curious can come. The unconvinced can come. The skeptical. The used to believe. The broken. As well as the committed. The informed. The sold out. The passionate Christ follower. I agree with Pastor Andy when he says, quote, honestly, I don't understand why every church wouldn't determine to be a church unchurched people love to attend. So what's our mission? We know who Jesus is. We know what the church is. We know who can belong. What's our mission? First, number one, is to worship God. Wasn't that great this morning? Did you enjoy this? Did we worship Did you feel his presence? I certainly did. Pastor Don, I I don't know, but the last two Sundays have been some of the best worship we've had all year. It just has been stupendous. Is that a word? That is, isn't it? Stupendous, great. I mean, the Holy Spirit has really come down and moved in a precious, precious way. I love it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 from the New Living Translation says this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. I love this idea of God embracing me. The embrace of God. Doug, could I use you as an example, please? Would you come? Take off your glasses. I just don't, I don't want to bend anything. But... I, I, I want to demonstrate an embrace. Can you just see the Father? Just... Mm. Thank you. <laughs> That's how Trevor hugged me this morning. He came up and said, give me, give me a hug, man. It was firm and it was godly and, oh, it was energizing. I said, thank you, brother. Wow, I haven't been hugged like that in a long time. There's something about the embrace of the Father that's consuming your heart to His, His heart to yours. And and He just imparts something to you. 
his love, his acceptance. And he reminds you it's not built on obedience. Relationship with him is not built on obedience. It's built on trust. It's built on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he already did. Finished. Done. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 from the... uh, I forgot the acronym CEV is... um, Contemporary English version. You'd think the pastor should know those things. That's my response. Paul writes, everything was created by him. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything seen and unseen, including all the forces and powers and all the rulers and authorities. All things were created by God's son and everything was made for him. So that's my first reason for being. That's that's my purpose on earth. I was made for him. Now, secondly, my second purpose is to share this good news about Jesus and what he's done and that he's alive with the people that God brings into my life or that he tells me to go to and to share. If I could ask you, and I don't. I don't do this with any regularity. Those of you that attend here know far and few between would I take this kind of time to read this amount, but I want to. It's so important. I want to read several paragraphs from Pastor Andy Stanley's book, and you're just going to have to really tune in and listen and not be distracted by your note taking or otherwise. Let's listen together. This is about the history. Just a quick overview, 40,000 foot view of the church. We call it his story. Quote, from a purely secular perspective, the story of the church goes something like this. A small band of Jewish dissidents defied a superpower and religious system that had been in place for a thousand years. And in the end, they prevailed at the center of it was this grassroots movement originally referred to as the way which a Jewish carpenter whose messages centered on a kingdom that wasn't directly connected to this world spoke mostly in parables that few could understand began. He insisted that those who followed him love the Romans and pay those onerous taxes. He alienated the influential and the powerful. He offended practically everybody. His family thought he had lost his mind. After only three years of public ministry, he was arrested, publicly humiliated, and executed. Sounds like the perfect way to start a movement, doesn't it? But it gets even stranger, because after his execution, Jesus' dispirited and desperate followers claimed that he rose from the dead and that they had seen him. No, they had touched him. No, they had eaten with him. And then within weeks of his alleged resurrection, dozens and then hundreds of people within walking distance of where Jesus was buried believed this nonsense and began telling others. Before long, Jerusalem was filled to the brim with followers of the way. 
When resistance from both Rome and the Jewish authorities broke out, several members of the original group were executed and the followers scattered. Now, if this uprising had been like a dozen or so similar messianic uprisings that occurred during the same slice of history, it would have passed as a mere footnote of history. But this one was different. Everywhere they went, the followers of the way insisted that God had done something unique in their generation. He had raised a man from the dead. In a relatively short amount of time, this Jewish knockoff religion replaced the entire pagan pantheon of gods as the primary belief system of the Roman Empire, the same empire responsible for crucifying its central figure. The same empire that launched several vicious inquisitions with the intent of stamping it out completely. Doesn't really add up, does it? Not without an actual resurrection anyway. But the story of the church is not just unexplainable, it's undeniable. Today, over a third of the world's population claims some kind of faith in this Jesus. The Roman Empire is long gone, ancient Jerusalem died, and the destruction of the Jewish temple in A.D. 70 took place. But today, one-third of the world's population claims Jesus as the centerpiece of their religious experience. He taught for three years, and 20 centuries later, he is worshipped on every continent on the planet. That's an amazing story. It's the story of every Christian and church attendee, and it's the story that all of us should know. And as church leaders, it's the story in which we have the privilege of participating. Actually, it's a story that we are responsible for shaping. Like it or not, we are the stewards of the church for our generation. More daunting than that is the fact that we determine what kind, or excuse me, what comes to mind for the next generation when they hear the term church. So, we're going to go back to the big screen, and if I could dial the lights down, please. I'd like to show you something that's changed. When we talk about new paradigm, when we talk about renaissance, we're talking about something so significant that it has changed the vision and the direction of Genesis. And we now highlight that in what's called our vision. Fear not. It's on its way. Hopefully. Ah. You are seeing for the first time a restatement of this church's vision after 11 years. We have simplified it and it has at its core everything that I've just spoken. Could we read it aloud together, please? Our vision is to 
lead people into a growing faith in Jesus Christ, a gathering where God's kingdom is expressed in love and in power. Next week, God willing and with his help, we'll have a laminated small business card size item that you can slip in your purse and keep with you or in your pocket and carry with you so that you can memorize the verse or the vision. We'd love for you to do that. We're going to lead people. That's our mission. But not command or tell or demand. We're going to be servant leaders. Growing faith. What is it that we want people to do? We want them to grow in faith and in trust. That's the simplicity of the gospel. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. I believe that. I trust that. And so we're asking you. We're asking you to join us in this vision of simply leading people into a growing faith. A growing faith in what? Jesus. And out of that will come a gathering, ecclesia, of God's kingdom. What's that mean? His presence and influence. Where people have an experience. It's not just knowledge. It's not Sunday school class. We're not going to build Genesis on teaching. We're not going to build Genesis on just knowledge about God. We're going to build Genesis on a combination of the word of the Lord and an experience with him and his Holy Spirit. That's what they built the church on in the New Testament. It was an experience they had with the resurrected Christ. And that comes by coming to know him through his spirit and his word. And so that experience, though, needs to be in love and in power. Both we're building it on the love that Jesus has for us and the power of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the spirit and the manifestation of his presence and influence to change us. That's our vision. So I ask and Barb, if you'd be ready, please, that song. You know what? It gets messy. When you have new converts and you really love them and you don't break out a long list of all the do's and don'ts for them to become, you keep it simple, you don't make it difficult. Do you know how messy Genesis could get? If we, if we stop making it difficult for people to belong to this church, do you know how messy it could get? If we really focus on just being a gathering that brings God's presence and influence in every time we gather to minister to people in love and power and just we grow in our faith, it's, it's, we're making a movie. It's not a snapshot. It's not bang. You're saved. Praise the Lord. Everything's great. No, it's, life is very messy after you accept Jesus. In fact, for a lot of people, it gets messier after you accept Jesus than before you received it, doesn't it? So I want to hand something out to you, ushers, if you would, before we leave today. Everyone would take one of these, please. It's a set of two pieces of paper. And if I could have one as well. 
Thanks. It's two sheets of paper. I'm going to ask you just to hold on to it. Don't even read it yet. Just hold it like this. Don't even read it yet. Just hold on to it. And for those listening to this message on CD, or you've downloaded it from the Internet, if you would like to have what's being handed out, if you would please email me at jcorson, that's the initial J, K-O-R-S-E-N at genesisc.net, I'll send you the paperwork so that you that are listening digitally can have this. It's very important. Again, if you just look up here, if I could ask you not to be reading this, just look up here. Okay. Sound booth, as soon as the sound booth gets theirs, ushers, keep one for yourself. If I could have everybody look up here for a minute. Okay, is everyone ready? That's right, if you would, everyone. That's to remind you that that's our beginning place. It's messy. This new thing, Nina spoke to it prophetically this morning. There's adjustment. There's seed being sown. But this thing's messy. Now, if you would, open it up. Don't flatten it all out and make it look pretty. It needs to be wrinkled because it's representative of our own lives and of the reason I gave you these two pieces of paper. The first one I want you to look at is the one that has something on both sides. Would you grab that? One of the pages has something on both sides. If you would look at this side, the one that has the question marks and the blank line at the top, please look at that. What I would like you to do, the name is optional. You can write your name on this or not. That's why that's there. I want you to respond to what's written there. I lay aside blank in order to more fully follow Jesus Christ and his purpose for my life. That's based on the scripture down below. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, everything that's an unnecessary weight. And maybe that's even a sin. Which so readily clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. What would you like to lay down? What's just in the way of you really being sold out and faithful? Would you write it down here? You don't need to write a book or even a paragraph. It could be a word. 
It could be a couple of words. I gave you plenty of room. What you're responding to is the statement. I lay aside blank in order to more fully follow Jesus Christ. Would you respond to that? Go ahead and do that right now because it shouldn't take you but just 30 seconds. If you have to go digging, you're digging too deep. I mean, if you really, if you have to go digging for this, you're digging too deep. You're looking too hard. Again, you do not need to write your name on it. If you'd like to write your name on it, I'll tell you why that could be important in a moment. We're going to close our service with this. All right. And feel free to cover it up. You might be writing something personal there. You might be writing, for instance, some sort of sin. Maybe maybe you're struggling with some sort of habit or addiction, and it's embarrassing. So you don't have to put your name down, and you can just go ahead and cover that right now. Everybody understands that we might be covering our answer here, okay? Because it's uncomfortable, or maybe you want to fold it. Now, turn the paper over to the other side. It says, if I decide to become a member of Genesis, now that's in quotes, the word member, that's because we're changing the way you become a member here. You can become a member here as of this morning by simply saying, you know, this is where I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me. This is where I could put roots down and grow. I want to be a member of that church. You can start that process this morning. You can become a member today. What we encourage you to do is to follow that with the Discovery Class 101, which is the New Beginnings class, so that you can learn more about the church. But you wouldn't have to. If I decide to become a member of Genesis and put down roots, The thing I think I could contribute the most to making Genesis an irresistible gathering for the unchurched to attend is. Would you write it down right now? Now, this is why your name on the paper may be important. If you have never expressed this before and you want me to know. This is where you feel like you could really be used of the Holy Spirit to make Genesis an irresistible church to attend. Now that you know the kind of church we want to build, maybe you want to put your name on here. Regardless, I'm going to take every one of these crumpled pieces of paper and starting Monday, Nina and I are going to be praying over everybody's crumpled paper every day. We'll pray over all of them in mass. Some of them we'll take out of the pile, just randomly pick out a crumbled piece of paper daily, and we will pray, be praying specifically for that person's declaration. So, again, if you want your name on that, okay, then put your name on it. Now, after you are done, crumble it up. Crumble it up. All right, now throw it up here. Crumble it nice and tight so it flies. Now throw it up here as far. Throw it hard. Throw it up here. 
<laughs> All right, ushers. Give me a little help here on the usher, right? Come on, throw it up here. Ushers, please make your way through the aisles quickly. Ushers, go through the aisles. Get the pieces that aren't traveling all the way to the altar. If it didn't fly very far, just wad it up a little tighter and it'll, it'll go further. Ushers, just go ahead and throw it up here. There you go. Thank you, Manuel. Here's one here. Let's scoot that up here. All right. Now, take out the second piece of paper. Now, this one you're taking home, the second piece you're taking home, and I want you to leave it crumpled up now. Don't try to iron this out. Don't get your iron out when you get home. Make it all smooth. And don't recopy it. There's a reason we want this wrinkled. I want you to go to somebody between now and the end of of the month. It could be a friend. It could be an acquaintance. could be your neighbor, somebody you work with. I want you to take this piece of paper, not another one, and not just from memory, okay? I want you to take this piece of paper in a crumpled state, okay? Just leave it all up here. That's fine. We don't need to collect them right now because I need everybody's attention. I want you to take this piece of paper crumpled like that. Take it with you when you meet them. Sit down with them. Do one of these. Lila, I want to ask you something. We're doing something really special at our church. And this will just take 60 seconds. If you could help me with this. I know you don't attend church even. And I'm not trying to to get you to. I have a question. If you were going to attend or return to church, the thing that would make it irresistible more than any other thing to me would be what? Not making me feel guilty. Okay. Not making me. Not making me feel guilty. Okay, got that. And I'll just put Lila. And if they don't want you to write their name, you can put L-N. Lila Nichols. And then crumble it back up. And bring this back to me. Did you do that? Between now and the end of the month, go to somebody who's not a regular church attender. Maybe agnostic. Maybe they hate God. Maybe they, you know, I mean, their life for them is not at all about Christianity. And simply ask them that question. Looks like we have a little typo here on it, which I didn't see. So work through that. If I was going to attend or return to a church... The thing that would make it irresistible more than any other thing for me would be get their answer, crumble it up and bring the paper back and give it to me. And we're going to start praying about those responses and seeing how the Holy Spirit would help us make Genesis a place that's irresistible for the unchurched. Could we stand?